Welcome to Wonder Tour with Derek Cobb and Drew Perot, where we are learning leadership lessons from your favorite stories. Hi, I'm Brian Nutwell. And I'm Drew Perot. And we are on a journey to become better leaders by touring fantastic worlds and inspiring lore by going on a wonder tour. We connect leadership concepts to story context because it sticks to our brains better. You can find out more at wondertourpodcast.com. We're back with part two of Rogue One. In part one, we looked at Jin Erso and the way that she, over the course of the movie, goes from being a dissatisfied character to a character that is full of purpose and life and joy. In part two, we're gonna focus on why sacrifice multiplies energy. Of course, this is a war movie, so there's many different sacrifices that we see, and maybe none are bigger than Galen Erso. Jin's father. Galen is cast to us as this character who we see having warm relationship at the beginning of the movie and who Jin thinks of fondly and yet all of the other characters are very skeptical of him because he's been working on the Death Star as a scientist. As we follow Galen's arc, we come to understand that Galen, perhaps as much or more so than the other characters, demonstrates his character through sacrifice. Galen chooses to live his life in slavery to the Empire as a scientist, building something that he doesn't believe in, that he is vehemently opposed to, so that there's hope for the universe yet. So as we look at sacrifice, we don't want to glorify it, but we want to say that sacrifice makes sense if we want to love others and we want to see them experience joy and have the potential to develop themselves. So again, we're going to tie it back to Star Wars and hope here where there's an opportunity to create hope, then maybe it makes sense to make a sacrifice because sacrifice is all about the long game. And in the end, what are we talking about here? We're talking about how sacrifice can multiply energy. Why? Because sacrifice is the upside down method. Sacrifice is not the obvious way to create more energy, to create more goodness, but sacrifice is a form of service to other people giving ourselves up to somebody else so that we can see growth. Sacrifice leads to hope, and hope tells us that what has occurred in our lives up to this moment does not have to have any bearings on how we are living going forward, and isn't that how Jin Erso lives in Rogue One? Welcome to Wonder Tour. All right, welcome back, Wanderers. We're here for episode two on Rogue One. Before we get rolling too quickly, I want to just briefly revisit the limit break formula that we talked about in our last series. And what we said was for a character to break through a limit and achieve a new level of influence in the world, that's kind of that multiplying energy that Drew was just talking about in the intro, that limit break requires several elements. The first stage is the dissatisfaction with the state of the world and alignment to some external purpose. The second stage is the realization of what steps must be taken or what the path forward might look like or where you want to go and getting aligned. And then this third step, which is what we're really talking about here, is we said doing the work or paying the cost. But maybe we want to think about sacrifice as one of the words that we describe that, the internal experience of actually breaking through a limit, I think we're going to suggest necessarily involves sacrifice, at least to the extent of you can't be great at one thing if you spend a lot of your time on all the other things. Like you're going to have to sacrifice what you choose to spend your time on to focus on the area that you really want to break through. 
haven't we seen that going back to even Stranger Things episode where we use the analogy of the gate that's created between dimensions and how are they creating that gate? Well, you need a lot of energy to create a gate. How are we going to get that energy? Well, inherently within our universe, something has to pay for that. So the sacrifice is just a form of paying the cost. I think we use the terminology paying the cost or doing the work to be a little bit more open to the idea that this is not a complete formula and that there's other possibilities of how that would work. But that, like you said, Brian, inherently somebody has to pay a cost in order for transformation to happen within the universe. Absolutely. And I like thinking about sacrifice, not in the sense of like martyrdom of, oh, my life is so hard because I'm working on this 80 hours a week job, like not that kind of sacrifice. But I like it in some respects better than paying the cost because the cost is not fixed and the cost is not clear and what you're getting isn't guaranteed, right? You will achieve a breakthrough, but you don't necessarily know what the flow state's going to look like. You don't necessarily know what influence your efforts are going to have on the universe. And so that's a thing that I think we we can circle around a little bit is going back to, you know, your intro about the multiplying energy, about the multiplying joy, multiplying the opportunities for other people to have joy, right? What I'm trying to do is unlock some new state in the universe that may not be for my benefit. You said, I'm playing the long game and I'm playing the magnanimous game. And I would like to live in a universe that has all those good things in it. So I'm going to invest in it, but I'm not the only one that'll benefit. That's that's the magnanimous leader limit break that we're looking for. That's the joy tie-in, too, is that I find joy in the present by doing things for a purpose and for other people, not by getting some sort of feedback. That's playing the long game and serving people is not expecting anything in return. And that's the difference between joy and happiness that I see a lot. Hey, no matter what capacity you're serving people in, you run up against the challenge of, you know, my job is to serve. Their job in that moment is to be served. If they choose to flip over the plate of food that you're offering them, whether it's your kid or somebody that you're, you know, that a soup kitchen or whatever, right? We don't want to let that be a joy stealer to us because our job is to serve. Our job is to love other people and show compassion on people and believe in them. And they might not respond exactly how we want in that moment, but to not get discouraged by that. And that brings us right back to Rogue One here, because Jin, I mean, come on, she's up against a huge challenge here. And she draws a lot of inspiration in how she attacks this challenge from her father, Galen, who she doesn't even have a lifelong relationship with. She has fond memories of. She believes in him clearly and believes that he believed in her. but. Talk to us a little bit about that relationship, Ryan. This was a big anchor for our last episode where we talked about how the fact that he had this credibility with her, that he had demonstrated to her his clear affection, his clear love, that even, you know, 10 years later, he circles back with, hey, I've got this really important thing that you need to understand and help me do, had some credibility, had some resonance with her, where that same message fell differently on people that didn't have that investment with him or with her. But I think that One of the nuances is in that message is what he revealed was I've been sacrificing for the last 10 years or whatever. Like I have been the realization I had. He was dissatisfied with the state of the world. The realization I had was that the only way forward for me to pursue a purpose that I believed in was to do this really horrible thing. I'm going to go help him build a Death Star and then take this really small chance because otherwise somebody else will build a Death Star and the chance won't be there. So, you know, that's not a framework that most of us are faced with. Build a super killing machine or you'll die like Most of us don't have those kind of sacrifices to face in our lives. But aligning what opportunities are there for you and how can you maximally leverage those opportunities 
to help the people around you or help the people that you can anticipate will be around you, you know, to, to invest in making the world a more joyful place. Those are your options. We can maybe pull another character from the movie to illustrate this, right? The, the Chirrut Imwe, the blind force guardian of the Wills character. He's a great Star Wars movie character. And his he's mantra, like the right? only Jedi here, basically. And he's not really a Jedi, maybe, but maybe he is. We don't really get that whole story. He does. He's not a traditional Jedi, but he's yeah, definitely he's... a follower of the Force. Right. And that's and his his whole mantra is I'm one with the force. The force is with me. And he just repeats this over and over again. And it's kind of cool if you think about it. Right. He's like, I have this. I trust that the world will provide the opportunities to me. I have a clear sense of purpose, but I'm just letting you know, I'm letting the opportunities guide me. He's very much an in the moment looking for opportunities to do the kinds of things that he would like to do. You know, he's a fearsome warrior with a stick and all that, but he's got this warm relationship with his friend. And the two of them have been through, we hear the backstory, like they had a purpose in life. They were defending this temple and now it's destroyed. And he's looking for an opportunity to align with. So he picks up with Jin and Rogue One and this whole mission. And so that's kind of a neat thing where he's got his basic sense of morality of magnanimity is intact, but he's looking for an opportunity to exercise it. And he doesn't hesitate. He's like, oh, okay, this is the thing that I can do. And he just goes and does it without hesitation. And that turns into, again, a very literal war movie sacrifice at the end. But that sense of I have my basic purpose clear and I'm looking for whatever opportunities are in my environment to go run really hard at making that purpose a reality. I think I think we can all do that. I think you can do that in your daily life. You can do that in your work life, understanding where the opportunities to help your team thrive or your organization thrive and being willing to put in the work if they are the best available chance. Well, so let's, what if we look at that? What if we just, while we're talking about Imway, look at the limit break recipe for a minute here? Because I think we see a smaller limit break going on with Imway. Imway and clearly his best friend in the world, Bays, buddies that are going on a journey but constantly bickering and stuff like that, they have a fundamental disagreement about the way that the universe works. Bayes is jaded and no longer believes that the force is good or exists or something like that. And then we have Imwe, who has this founding belief that the force exists. The force is a force for good. The force is alive now. It's alive in me. And I'm going to live like it is. And so he continues to show that to other characters through every little cost that he pays. He does not care. What other people think about him, obviously, otherwise he wouldn't be operating the way that he's operating. And fast forward a little bit to the end here to Imwe's sacrifice. He pays the cost for Baze a little bit here. He pays the cost. He makes the sacrifice. And through his sacrifice, where he's like, you know, he does his whole, I'm one with the force, the force is with me. And he walks out through the middle of the firefight and pulls the lever. We see Baze then see that sacrifice and finally break out of this shell that's been holding him back the entire episode. And it, 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 he runs straight to his death. That's it. That's all that happens afterwards. But you get that one moment where he's like, I'm one with the Force. The Force is with me. And you know, early in his life, he was a servant of the Jedi Temple. So he believed that. But that's the redemption for his character. And the redemption doesn't come necessarily by him paying a cost, though he's paying small costs along the way by being a part of this rebellion. But it comes through Imways paying a cost and Imways multiplying the joy, even in the midst of a war scene. Yes. And I, you got back to the multiplying thing, right? That's what we're talking about here. And we, we kind of hinted at this in the Limit Break episodes, too, right? That 
your personal limit break done in public, done with sacrifice, done with pure intention can unlock other people to be motivated to try their own. Right. And so in classic war movie fashion, we see this kind of happening, this cascade of one character takes the plot a step forward and then the next character's sacrifice takes it a step forward. Right. You know, it's a war movie, so it's tragic. But this is kind of the formula that we see where they inspire each other and they're, you know, oh, that person worked so hard for it on my behalf. I feel obligated to work that hard as well. Right. And that's that that is really powerful. So you want to take us to the mountaintop then? Because I think this is a natural expression of the way they're approaching this kind of openness to opportunity in the universe. Yeah, as we talked about Galen and Jin here a little bit, we get the encapsulation of actually kind of going back to what we talked about in Big Hero 6, where we have Tadashi's character that is being carried on in Baymax and then kind of gets fused together with Hero as well where it's almost like magnanimous character itself can be multiplied across human beings. And so that's what we get. Galen is multiplying his character. Galen makes the ultimate sacrifice. It would be easier to die than to do what he does. Instead, he goes working on a thing that he has a high probability is going to be the end of a lot of life, the opposite of what he believes in. And yet, like you said at the beginning, Brian, he does it because he sees this is the only way. And not only does he have to do a thing that the mission he is so opposed to, but he loses all of his friends and family. Not only does he lose them, but they hate him. They don't believe in him anymore. They think he's turned on them. I mean, come on, that type of a sacrifice, if it is eventually brought into the light, if it is truly magnanimous, changes somebody. It changes the team who sees it and it leads them to have hope. That's the only reason they even go to Scarif. And you see this change in Jin is like kind of occurring, kind of occurring because she has the seeds of good character and a good leader within her. But then once she gets that confirmation that, yes, the things that I believed about Galen were true, he was magnanimous in the end. Now she understands and she integrates all the things. And of course, in a movie way, it happens very quickly. But she integrates all the things that she knows and all the things that she's learned from him and from other people and can finally like step up, hold her chin high and lead this team. So she goes against the rebellion, number one, and then she goes against Mon Mothma, who doesn't want to go into this trap on Scarif trying to steal the Death Star plans. And we're not going to talk about that, but that scene's awesome, and everybody probably remembers that fondly. Rebellions are built on hope. The scene that we're going to talk about for our mountaintop, Brian, is Jin's speech to the team before they're about to land on Scarif. So, Brian, why don't you lead us into that? Right. So the setup here, of course, is, you know, Jin has her moment where she realizes she learns about her father's sacrifice, and this crystallizes her sense of purpose, right? His limit break unlocks her. So she's had her realization, and she's now willing to pay the cost. She tries to get all the rebels on board. They can't agree in the classic way that, you know, loosely organized bureaucracies can't. And so she's determined to just go try to do it herself. And on her way out the door, Cassian Andor intercepts her and reveals that there's a, there's a whole team of rebels who have bought into her passion and are, they're, they're on board. And so... They go, they steal a freighter and nickname it Rogue One and take it away from the Rebels. And they're traveling through hyperspace on the way to go with this uh, seemingly impossible task. Um, and we get this nice little moment where they're all like, OK, we got to go do what are we going to do exactly? Like, it's not it's not that there's a clearly formed plan. This is definitely being done in haste at the last possible moment by people that are just desperate. I don't know if you want to give us the quote here, Drew. How does she how does she explain how they're going to approach this challenge? 
Yeah, so we get this speech. It's not a long one from Jin, but we thought this was perfect because she says, if we can make it to the ground, we'll take the next chance and the next and on and on until we win or all the chances are spent. And in this world that we live in, we don't have a lot of choices about what happens in the external environment. We might not be in the midst of a battle in our current time physically, but there are other battles. There are battles that are going on in our head. There are battles that are going on in our relationships that just feel like they're weighing us down and, and going to take us down. There is business transformation that, that is going on, digital transformation, you know, all these different business models are changing and it can feel like the destination of being transformed requires an insurmountable amount of energy to achieve. And the amount of inertia that we have within our organization from a business perspective or that I have in my character from a individual's perspective will keep me from ever being the person or, you know, keep us from being the company that we want to be. So this is so great here. She aligns them around a purpose. She reminds them why we are here. We are here to get the plans for the Death Star. And I'm going to be the first one, boots on the ground, going after that. Just like we said in the first episode, she lives the mission. She's full of integrity. And then she tells them, look, it's not going to be easy, but we're going to iterate. So what does that iteration mean here, Brian? And how can we apply that to some practical examples and maybe via the Limit Break recipe? Yeah, I think this is a great lesson in aligning to a purpose, which has sort of a, you know, like you said, we, you know, we, we talk a lot about character or talk about, you know, the, you know, the, the intention that you're trying to get to. Like you understand the sort of effect you're trying to have in the world, but not getting too attached to the specific form of the plan or the specific form of the solution. And so, like you said, this is an inherently iterative thing. This is a we don't know exactly what this is going to look like on the other side, but we have a, a couple things that we definitely want to get done and we have a, an unshakable purpose behind it. And so we'll take the next chance and then we'll look for the next chance and on and on until we win. We'll keep looking for opportunities to move us closer to our goal, closer to the, you know, the alignment that we're looking for, closer to the state of the world that we're trying to achieve. And you can, that can take a lot of different forms, but you won't do it unless you are dissatisfied. You won't do it unless you are aligned to a broader purpose that is more compelling than, well, I would just like to go to lunch on time. <laughs> you know, you know, it's, you know, if you're going to do something great in the world, you're probably going to have to work through lunch every once in a while. Hopefully you won't have to go die on an alien planet, but you know, who knows? But that sense of this is exactly paying the cost. This is doing the work. This is the sacrifice. The physical effort of doing the thing, of choosing to spend your time on pursuing this goal in the world, and the mental effort of being attached to the goal and not being attached to a specific path or a specific final state of it. And those are really, those are hard to hold in tension, right? You know, you want to get there. You want to win. You want to make, you know, you want it to be okay. You want to be done and take a nap. But holding those things in tension and just coming back every day or coming back for every chance and just pursuing it that's the kind of paying the cost that we talk about. And that unlocks the limit break. It unlocks the flow state in yourself. It unlocks the flow state in the people around you. It provides that opportunity to multiply your personal energy into other people's energy working for the same goal, to multiply your joy of a relationship into other people's joy of being able to spread those same relationships. That's the kind of iterative but aligned and purpose-driven effort, I think, that we keep circling around here. 
That's really good. I think we see not a different form of a limit break. It still follows the framework for the limit break here, but this is more of an iterative limit break where you're getting these wins along the way. And of course, it's a war movie, so you're literally taking ground. But again, we can think about taking ground in the universe in a lot of different ways. But either way, when you go to take ground, like the important thing is to take some ground. The important thing is not to win outright right there, because if we're trying to plan in order to be able to win outright in a single encounter, that's going to be quite challenging. And it's going to be so daunting that most people won't be able to believe in it. But that's where Jin really nails it here, because she has a bunch of rebels, of course, like we always do in Star Wars, a bunch of people who are outcasts or who don't fit in within the society. They don't have a bunch of power for the most part they don't have a bunch of money right these are the least and they're here and they're here because they believe in a purpose but it it would seem impossible to just accomplish that big purpose if all she did was pitch we're gonna go get the plans for the death star all right break right what (laughs) she does is she she's like okay we're gonna take a little bit of ground at a time and here's a good example of it. Bodhi, the pilot, at first he's like hiding in the cockpit, like trying to be a part of it, but he's scared and you get him. Then he's once they land the ship, he's like underneath of it, kind of like hiding out, trying to do his thing. But in the end, they need him. He plays an important role, but he sees the iterative wins that they're getting. Even if it's like ground that's being taken at the cost of the team, the team is literally like having to lay themselves out to be able to take the ground here. He sees that sacrifice. And this dude who I feel like he is the least of the least, because like we talked about in the first episode, he's got his brain sucked out. He's got (laughs) he, he was a part of the Empire. He was a part of that operation. Like. Come on, this guy, nobody should believe in this guy at this point, except that rebellions are built on hope. And this guy deserves to be a part of that. And this guy has value, Bodhi. And then he makes this awesome sacrifice himself. And I think that just shows the power of the limit break going on here, the iterative limit breaks going on here. Yeah, absolutely. You get the cascading effect of those sacrifices of those, you know, of getting attached to the purpose. The other thing I wanted to throw in real quick, just as a callback to some of our previous episodes, is that um, on the Fast and Furious, the Fast Five episode we talked about, we realized that they spent the entire first half of the movie basically gathering information, right? To, to conduct this big heist, they ran a bunch of experiments just to figure out what the ground was around them. And we see the mirror of that here in Rogue One, where they don't actually entirely know what they're doing. They know their purpose, but they don't know their path. And so they spend basically the the back half of this movie, the entire war movie is all about information. It's all about where are things? Let's get the map. Let's get communication back and forth. Let's misinform the enemy and we'll get clearer and they'll get more confused. It's all about information management. It's all about knowledge is the key to unlocking the freedom, right? So, you know, not not to put too fine a point on it. The this whole movie is the MacGuffin is information. It's the plans for the Death Star. It's the how do you win? But it's neat that they express that through the mechanisms of the plot that we see one of the ways you succeed is you run the experiments to learn the things you need to learn, right? Even if those experiments are take a little bit of time and money, even if those experiments aren't on a direct line to where you want to go. You need to have more knowledge. You need to understand the landscape. You need to understand how you could succeed. And the only way you get there is this iterative approach. And so, yeah. It's I th- the map I, making, right? That yeah. You're bringing up. Here we go. Okay. So maybe that's how some of these things fit together, right? I, I feel like this doing the work phase of our limit break, as you've proposed, is inherently iterative, right? You don't do the work once, generally. Like, you know, it's a thing that you often have to take more and more steps at until you finally get good at it. 
But part of that work might be exploratory. Part of that work might be map making, is laying out the landscape and understanding where the limit break is available, where the specific opportunity is for you. Because even if you are dissatisfied, even if you are aligned to a purpose and have this terrible sense of resolve, you won't necessarily always need to know what the next step is, or you won't always necessarily know what the next step is. And so the thing to do might be, let's run a bunch of experiments. Let's take the next chance in the next and just keep, keep learning until we've run out of time or until we get it done. Well, oh my gosh. So in the background, in my head, throughout the time that we've been talking about limit breaks, I've had the question, okay, well, what if somebody is listening to this or viewing this model and they're like, okay, I feel like I need to have a limit break in my life. Well, how do I have a limit break? We've talked a lot about like the things you need to do as a part of the, you know, what the process is, but well, how do you get ferried between dissatisfaction and realization? Because it doesn't seem like it's just this natural progression that is linear and you could just do it in an afternoon or something like that, right? (laughs) So I think you've just shown a new piece of the model to me here. And it's so intuitive, but it goes back to map making. It goes back to being curious explorers. Exploration is the key to the journey of a limit break. So we have to constantly be reorienting ourselves to the map. If we want to be able to move forward, it's this evaluation of the environment. What traits are important within me? Am I reflecting on my actions? Am I reflecting on my relationships? Am I reflecting on how I'm leading other people or how I'm influencing others? And being able to use that exploration to kind of chart the journey map of our own limit breaks that we're on. Yeah, no, I love that. I think that's, again, it's all coming together, right? These are not these are not new concepts. We're deriving them from stories that we love and we're deriving them from lessons in the world around us, but trying to cast them in a light of, if you're in one of these situations, you know, if you're if you're challenged in your work life or you're challenged in some personal relationship situation in your life, like zooming out and imagining yourself as one of these character archetypes, right? If I was Obi-Wan Kenobi, what would I do? If I was Jin Erso, what would I do? If I was Dom Toretto, what would I do? Right. They're kind of silly, but they're also kind of give you a sense of these are sort of examples of successful leadership behaviors that we as humans believe in as stories, right? That you, you know, other people will believe in somebody that acts this way, that has this sense of purpose, that has this, you know, demonstrates this magnanimous character. So it's, it's ways to sort of reframe our challenges. And exactly that reframing is kind of the map making is that, well, oh, this situation is kind of like that type of story, right? We've got this hurdle to overcome and we don't actually know how to get over the wall. We don't actually know how to overcome this barrier. So maybe part of what we need to do is we need to run the, you know, we need to run the heist formula or the Rogue One formula of let's run a bunch of little experiments and see where things are really are and see what we're good at. Yeah, seeing where things are at in the environment is, I mean, that's what we talked about with map making. There was a number of different tactics that we brought up of how to understand the map. You know, it's really hard when you're in a small world to understand what the big world is like, because your small world most often is not a microcosm of the big world. It's not, it really isn't. It kind of is internally, but definitely not externally, the small world, like the little town that Bell grows up in or whatever is not a microcosm of the larger world with the Beast's Castle and the Enchanted Forest and all those other things. Yeah, absolutely. But when we talked about map making, like map making isn't an end of itself, right? Map making is a tool. The map is a way to understand the world around you. It's a simplified two-dimensional version of the world around you, but it's a way to understand where the opportunities are. And what we're seeing here is then one of the things you can do is just keep running at the opportunities that are well aligned with your purpose, try to get them to stack on top of one another, and you may get there. You will find that flow state eventually if you keep trying. 
Wow, that's good. So let's hit some key takeaways here, Brian. So we started out by talking about sacrifice being a key to the limit break recipe. Step three of the limit break is paying the cost. This is what leads to the breakthrough and the flow on the other side. We talked about how limit breaks multiply good things across humans. When people experience magnanimous limit breaks, they go to initiate their own magnanimous limit breaks. They want to become a different version of themselves, right? It can spawn a realization. I think that's an easy way to think about limit breaks across, you know, multiple layers of the same formula is like when somebody sees or experiences a limit break, it can help move them from dissatisfaction to realization, which gives them the ability to then make their way towards their own breakthrough. Talked about how with that, you know, when we're trying to multiply force, we don't want to overly glorify like sacrifices in giving your life to something. But we give our life to things iteratively every single day. We are always choosing how we're going to spend our time and our energy. So we're always submitting our lives to some things. What are we going to submit it to? (laughs) And what is going to be the outcome of that? And staying focused on sacrifice as the long game, sacrifice as creating joy for other people and not just creating joy for me, because that's what true lasting joy is. It Again, when we serve, when we sacrifice, we can multiply these good things like joy across individuals individuals. And with that, we looked more at the limit break recipe and said, okay, well, what if it's more iterative? Like we saw with Jin and the team doing the ground war assault on Scarif. What if there's not one big moment where Tony Stark is going to put on the gauntlet at the end of Avengers Endgame? What if it's this iterative cost that the whole team is going to pay over the course of the battle or over the course of the journey? And how does the team even know, you know, what that journey is going to be like? And how does the team, you know, the team knows they need a limit break here, right? They have a palpable amount of dissatisfaction. But how are they going to achieve that limit break? Well, we saw in Rogue One that exploration is really key, trying to figure out the lay of the land around us is critical to being able to chart the path for a limit break. Yeah, and I think that's something we all aspire to. We're all looking for how do I get to that next level of capability? How am I more influential in the world? How am I better at serving the people around me and empowering them and getting my team to be as effective as possible? Like that's that's the name of the game, right? Is the to keep continually push your limits, continually break through to another level of capability. And that's It requires that dissatisfaction with today, it requires that alignment with purpose, and it requires this iterative putting in the work, looking for opportunities to expand my knowledge of the world or to get us a little bit closer. And that's uh, that's the name of the game. So I think that's it for the week. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Uh, We had a great time. I think we've got starting to crystallize even more some of these elements that we've been talking about for close to 100 episodes now. And so we've got some fun stuff planned for episode 100. But before that, episodes 98, 99 coming up, we are going to be hitting a delightful, fantastic, all singing, all dancing, all rapping, actually mostly true story of heroism and limit breaks in the world. That's right. We are going to do Hamilton. Oh, I'm excited for that, Brian. We really stacked up a couple of good ones in a row here right before episode 100. Going from uh, going from uh, Star Wars Rebels to actual Rebels. <laughs> so, I'm really looking forward to this one. This will be a nice take on our recipe and sort of examining some legitimate historical facts in a very entertaining fashion. So I'm really looking forward to that one. Hope everybody comes back and joins us for that. And in the meantime, have a great week. And just remember, as always, as K2SO tells us, character is destiny.